0: I've never finished Marriage Matters. It'll probably just be uh, splintered here and there along the way. Uh, However, if you remember, it's been a couple weeks or so uh, since we spoke along those lines, and uh, we kind of left off talking about love and respect, uh, how what men need is respect and how ladies need love. And uh, I got a a couple of worksheets along those lines. I love worksheets, anybody that knows me. And I have a a couple of worksheets along those lines that... uh, uh, that basically state as your wife, I feel loved when and there 's a series of statements that she can uh, rate uh, how and when she feels love, and what that does is help me as a husband to know what it is that makes her feel really loved and then another worksheet that says, As your husband, I feel respected when and a series of statements as well that that uh, he could gauge and uh, monitor that whenever he, fe- he feels deeply respected by you whenever uh, any of these things take place now, I'm not giving those out this morning uh, I am going to make those available through a downloadable link at our Facebook page so if you want to grab that in your home and in your marriage and you'd really like to know when your, life or your wife feels loved or would really like to know whenever your husband feels respected I'm going to put them on there for your, your benefit and I ask you if that's your thing, you like to do that type of stuff do it, amen, do it wow okay amen Psalm chapter number 2 if you'll stand with me this morning because once again what's marriage it's work it's work sometimes it even takes doing stuff you don't necessarily like to do marriage matters I tell you what just to be just virtually honest with you all anytime I come to this subject matter it seems like people just really cringe up out here I'm serious I am really serious so man I might just dig real deep before we're all said and done with this thing amen because it's your marriages that make up this church it's the building block for this assembly amen song of Solomon verse chapter 2 verse number 8 amen this morning we want to look at some subject matter here today the Bible says and everybody's already probably you're, maybe you're nervous because I said we're going to the song of Solomon And we're talking about marriage. Uh I hear some nervous laughs. It says, The voice of my beloved, behold, he cometh leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills. My beloved is like a roe or a young heart. Behold, he standeth behind our wall. He looketh forth at the windows. Shoeing himself through the lattice. My beloved spake and said unto me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. For lo, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth, the time of the singing of birds is come. And the voice of the turtle is heard in our land. The fig tree put forth her green figs and the vines with the tender grape give a good smell. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. O my dove, that art in the clefts of the rock, in the secret places of the stairs. Let me see thy countenance. Let me hear thy voice. For sweet is thy voice and thy countenance is comely hallelujah we need god to help us this morning let's pray father lord i come to you this morning i pray god as we again uh, teach some principles and precepts lord of your word god concerning marriage i pray oh lord i invite you into this session today invite you lord into this lesson this morning god take lord the preeminence and the predominance lord in this house open up our mind god and our understanding God, every spirit, Lord, that may be unsettled, Lord, and somewhat tense. God, because of the subject matter, I pray, oh, Lord, today, God, speak to us through your word. I know, God, it's there even for the practicalities, Lord, of life. And I need it, Lord Jesus, for those very things, God, in my life. Lord, I love you, and I thank you, and I praise you, God, for what you may do and what you may accomplish, Lord, in this place. In Jesus' name that I pray. Everybody say amen. If you're sitting by your spouse this morning, just give them a little hug at the side before you're seated. Amen. God is so good. The Song of Solomon. I want to set the stage here a little bit for you because uh, The Song of Solomon is, is a, really a very quite complex complex book. It is a complex book. And it has only eight chapters, but there's a lot within those eight chapters. 117 verses, to be exact. But there's a lot contained within them. And it's called the Song of Solomon. Some of the Bibles uh, call it the Song of Song. Even the first verse of chapter 1 says it's the Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. And uh, 1 Kings tells us of the things in which Solomon wrote. He wrote about 1,005 songs, but this particular one is the Song of Songs. Uh, Just like we call our Savior the Lord of Lords or the King of Kings. In other words, we're talking to him about he is the best of all of those. The greatest of all those. And so this is the greatest song of Solomon. Out of the 1,005 songs that he wrote, this is the best. This is the cream of the crop, so to speak. So if that's the case, I want to pay attention because he had some great songs and a lot of great information Uh, and teaching through his songs. And so uh, we've looked at uh, the Song of Solomon very, very uh, minutely uh, before, and we understood that this book is probably written during Solomon's younger years, uh, before he had the uh, 700 wives and the 300 concubines that Scripture speaks of. This is whenever he was a young man. Uh, If I could say this was his fresh love. Uh, this was his uh, first love even might we could say and uh, the the Bible in the the book of Solomon uh, the song of Solomon whenever it speaks of this love that he has it never states her by name never gives her a particular name so we don't know her by name Uh, what we know her by in this book is Shulamite that's who she is or it's talking about this love as his life, it is, it is Shulamite. Now, uh, that could be a few things. Uh, it could be speaking that this lady that is his love is from the region of Shunem, which was an actual place. It may be speaking about that. I don't know for sure. We don't know for sure. There are some uh, uh, unknowns in the book of the Song of Solomon. Uh, but we do know that she is the Shulamite. And the only thing that I can really deduce from this, uh, from my study, is interestingly enough, to me at least it was, that Shulamite, uh, in in the Hebrew language, Hebrew has uh, masculine and feminine forms, and in the Hebrew language, Shulamite is the feminine form of the name Solomon. So, in essence, it's Mrs. Solomon. So we have Solomon and we have Mrs. Solomon here in this book. Now something else, and I'm just setting the stage here for our understanding. Uh, the Song of Solomon is, is not written in, in chronological order. Uh, you can't start the beginning and go through and this one thing just follows right up another. It's not chronological order. Uh, before someone would start reading, and say, boy, I tell you what, they're kind of getting a little in deep there. They're kind of getting a little too close there. Well, it's not written in the order, here they are dating and then they are married and here's the afterlife of marriage. That's not the way in which it was written. And so it's written for the most part from the point of view of, if I can keep referring to her as this, Mrs. Solomon. It's written from the point of view of Mrs. Solomon. And through the book, yes. And if you've ever read the book, yes. There are times that it describes moments of physical intimacy within the context of marriage right here in the book of Solomon. But this is important. The book of Solomon, song of Solomon, very important. You say, Brother McGee, we'll just bypass over that and we'll read some Deuteronomy and we'll read uh, uh, some Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's great. But if I remember New Testament Scripture correctly, all Scripture is profitable for doctrine. Reproof, rebuke, instruction, Amen. And so, this is very vital to your life, uh, to your spiritual life, as uh, any other part of the Bible is is important to you. It is a piece. If you will, it's written in a poetic form. It's a piece of Hebrew poetry, and it's kind of put together based upon its literary style. The best way that I can help you in in following the Song of Solomon is this: It is similar to a movie or a book that as you're reading it or as you're watching a movie, that has several flashbacks, several reflections, going along and all of a sudden, you know, it's kind of a look backward of another time, of a prior place. And that probably best describes the book of Solomon. So as we read through these verses, these verses of reflection, uh, if we could just kind of set the stage here, it kind of starts out that Mrs. Solomon, uh, she, she's married. Uh, it's her wedding day. Oh, do you remember that? It's Mrs. Solomon's wedding day. She has has been married. Uh, She's on the verge. We see her going to the banqueting house. She's going to attend her reception. You remember that? Very practical to life. She's going to be going to her reception at the banquet. and, And so this has happened. She's been married. It's her wedding day. She's been to her reception. And the setting of Scripture that I read to you this morning is while she's at the reception, she zones out for a little bit. And she has a reflection. And she begins to remember what life was like with her Romeo, the man of her life, before she got married, before she had any type of relationship with him. So as she's zoning out and looking back at her relationship before they got married, and now she is married, she's taking in what what things, what took place before we got married. What type of things happened before we got married? Has anybody ever thought back to the time when it was before you got married and remembered maybe some of the key places you went or certain times that, uh, and scenarios, dates, maybe even per se that you had before you got married? You all hard, aren't you? Well, this is why she was doing it. And she was considering in her mind why maybe even some people you ever seen some people uh, uh married in their lives and stuff and i know some people probably scratch their head why in the world did they ever get married why why did they ever get married why you know uh how did that happen why in the world are they together uh, ever wondered a person you know uh, i just don't see how that ever took place how that ever happened and because the reason why sometimes they see some things after the marriage that makes them wonder how did they fall in love with that i mean for instance maybe they see among a couple some big insensitivity even in a public setting and they're thinking what did they ever see in that uh huh All right. All right. or maybe even among the couple themselves maybe one of the partners feel uh, concerning the other partner why is it that i seem like a burden to you now? All right. Come on now or maybe there's reflection after you know they're in marriage and there's reflection to before and they're thinking among themselves you know i wonder when's the last time that we truly just talked we truly just communicated and spent I mean it was more than talking about the weather or the kids or how your day was but we really got in deep and spent some quality time and even talked about maybe some differences oh boy man I might need to go just hardcore and do this on Wednesdays and Sundays and Sunday nights so a good question to evaluate and no doubt maybe perhaps she was even just freshly after marriage, no doubt she's reflecting in a good way, and we'll see that. But maybe a good question for evaluation in every one of our marriages, if you are married, is what am I doing now in our relationship? What am I doing now for our relationship that I did before we were married? Taking the reflection, what, is there anything that I'm not doing now? that I for sure would have not missed doing then. Seriously, folks, because we all fall short there. Before marriage, that man's opening the car door for his wife. After marriage, (laughs) after marriage, he's in the car, he got it started before she's even got there. Amen? Pardon me. Right. Not necessarily because they have to be. So here's Shulamite. She's reflecting on things, how things were prior to marriage. And her, in her reflection, she's remembering the time that Mr. Solomon is on his way to pay her a visit. He's remember, she's remembering the time that he is coming. Uh, and we got to understand, Solomon's a king. At this time, he's a king. He's a man with a lot of responsibilities. He's a man that no doubt could be heavily involved in his work and be very responsible for his work. Yet, here he is taking some time to pay attention to what would become Mrs. Solomon. In other words, all the duties of the kingdom wasn't so important that he couldn't pause and take some time to pay attention to that lady before they got married. Another interesting thing is, is that Mr. Solomon lives in Jerusalem. And Shulamite, or Mrs. Solomon, lives around the Galilee area, which is north, about 70 miles. So this is somewhat of a long-distance relationship. But 70 miles from each other, he's a king, and so to make that 70-mile trip to where she is is going to take time, and it's going to take money in order to purposefully go there and spend some time with her. Amen. That's what happened before marriage. And she's reflecting, and no doubt as we reflect, man, I remember, I understand long-distance relationship. I understand 350 miles it was to Oak Ridge, Tennessee. I understand the gas money that was involved. I understand that. But I was willing to do that before we ever got married and i hope to say that if i could do that before that i would still be willing to sacrifice time and make the investment that's the way we should look at it now in order to spend some time with our wives amen even i know you know several people have the child factor that's involved there you know sometimes it's got to you got to spend money even for a babysitter in order to have time with your spouse. And that's vitally, vitally important. The Bible says in verse number 8, Shulamite, look how she she is remembering him. She says, the voice of my beloved. Oh, you want to talk about a rapture moment. Whenever just even the voice of her beloved just thrills her and excites her. Whereas after the fact, it could be, uh, here he's home. The voice of her beloved. She says, he cometh leaping upon the mountain, skipping upon the hills. In her reflection, his coming to her was that man, he was making some headway. She don't see him just frolicking and walking and pausing on his way. No, he's skipping. He's leaping. leaping. In other words, this woman is, is considering before marriage how that man was so eager to see her. So overjoyed and thrilled to see her that she explains him coming as leaping and skipping. When's the last time you felt like that about your wife?
1: Mm. When I came
0: home to ladies conference on Sunday. Right. That's right. She says, my beloved is like a roe or a young heart. In other words, he's like a young deer. Behold, he standeth behind our wall. He looketh forth at the windows, shooing himself through the lattice. So here she is. She's describing how thrilled she is, how excited she is over a visit from him, that he's coming just to spend some time with her. Here's reflection. She hears the voice of her beloved man. That's pleasant to her ears. It's pleasant to this damsel. He's leaping. He's skipping. He's eager to see her. She's eager to see him. Isn't that great? Before marriage so eager. Man I remember being so eager to see my wife. Or was not my wife then. But so eager to see her. Wanting to see her. A lot of time went by since we seen each other. And just to be able. Didn't have to do anything. Just be together. And we need to somehow in our marriages cultivate that same type of mentality. Just the eagerness. Just to be together. You know, some people think, well, if you, don't exp- if you don't spend X amount of dollars while you're together to do something, then it's just really not all that grand. Baloney! I don't have to spend a bunch of money. And I'm not saying I'm a cheapskate either. I'm just saying I can just be with her walking through the trails of Belle Woods in Kingsburg, Illinois. And that alone, man, will just do me well. Why? Because I have an eagerness just to be with her. And yet after marriage, why is it then sometimes people try to find whatever they can do to be away from them? You might have to give Bishop a mic too. He's about ready to go, I think. So she explains him as a a young heart, a young deer, eager to see him and look at him whenever he gets to the house. He's still on the opposite side of the wall, but he's kinda he's kinda standing there and he's he's kinda, you know, peering through the window. Now please, this is not trying to describe some lewd peeping Tom, all right? He's there. He's just peering through the windows and, and seeing him through the lattice. What, what's taking place? He's so looking forward to seeing her. He's just trying to just get a glimpse even. Just a glimpse. You know, is she coming to the door yet? You know, I've rap, tap tapped. Is, is she coming to the door? I just want to get a glimpse of her uh, with anticipation, wait, waiting to see her. This is a man, ladies and gentlemen, that is smitten with love. He can't even stand still at the door. He's gonna, Is she coming yet? is she coming I just can't wait Rem- remember the Bible says here that he looketh if you remember anything I've ever said the three the, the three the, 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 the uh, suffix ETH on the end of the word means that it is the root meaning of the word with a continuation of it in other words it's not that he just looked but he kept on looking <laughs> is she coming I'm looking for her. I'm looking I keep on looking waiting I just if we could say it in modern day language he could not wait to see her I hope when you still come home for work that you just can't wait to see each other. Can't wait to see that man. Can't wait to see that lady. Oh, but you've just been apart, whatever, 14, 20 hours, however long your workday is. Yeah, but I just can't wait to see them. I ask you a question today. Maybe some of this is reflective. Maybe I'm stirring up a big rat's nest. That's all right. Could I even say this morning speak in different terms, has his or her voice become dull to you? You know, used to, whenever that voice would speak, you have my attention. I'm eager to know what you're saying, what you're talking about. Now when they speak, is it just like another voice? Has their voice become dull to you? Has that eagerness to see each other, has that waned? Has that faded? Has that dissipated do you still is there any men or women that still like to spend time with their spouse can I even say yeah
1: sacrifice the important on the altar of the urgent. In other words, all these things that are constantly vying for our attention, that, oh, this needs to be done, this needs to be done, that the important constantly gets neglected. And I think that can apply here with our marriage relationship, that that is the most important relationship we have down here on this earth. Even beyond our children and beyond our family, because eventually the children will be grown and gone in their own relationships, and that, mat, that mate, that spouse, is still going to be there. And you've got to constantly cultivate and invest in that. Because if you're constantly sacrificing what's important for what's urgent, when you finally get around to it, it may not be there, or there'll be so many problems, or you know, the whole statement, you know, so many people that have divorced. Well, we just don't love each other anymore, or you know, well, I, we just grew cold, or we just couldn't connect anymore, or whatnot. All those things is because people fail to make an investment. They fail to spend time. If you're constantly investing in something, you're going to get a return. And if you invest in marriage, and especially according to God's way, you're going to get a blessed return. You're going to get a return that's blessed by God, and that relationship will continue to endure and thrive. And there's a difference in thriving and surviving. You don't right. want your marriage just to make it. Well, you know, we stayed married 50 years, but it was awful. No, we don't want that. We want to be able to look back and say, man, we've had an awesome marriage. We've enjoyed the time we've spent with our spouse. We want it to be a time that we can look back and say, we thrived. We had a wonderful time that this was my soulmate, and I have enjoyed living life with them.
0: Amen. I don't uh, find can state real quickly. See, I told you. Um, I think she brought up a very important point concerning the children aspect. And that is because it's easy for children to come into the mix and there's so much uh, demands and so much an attention. But whenever the rubber meets the road, as she said, they're not always going to be there. And you didn't marry your children, you married your spouse. Okay, I'm hitting the nerve right now. Because whenever they, you know the best, you know what you want to know the best tool you can do for your children? Love your spouse. Love, love, love your spouse. Because you can pour all everything in your children, but if your marriage dissolves in the end, what benefit did all of that doing for them really serve when you neglected your spouse? And as you get to the age of uh, Bishop and his wife and the empty nest is there and the children are gone, if you've not continuously along the way, and it's going to be a little bit of a difficulty anyway, but if you don't just continuously along the way, pay attention and still keep those embers alive with your spouse, they're going to be gone and you guys are not going to know how to even interact anymore because... You don't have children anymore. And so you got to keep a steady path through even having children. That relationship, that marital relationship alive because whenever they're gone, guess what? It's you guys. <laughs> it's you guys for several more years till y'all die. No, no. Not, like, yeah, I don't want nobody to think we put our kids in a closet and chain them and we go out and we play games together. No, 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 no. That's not the case whatsoever. But I'm just saying there has to be a good balance uh, between the attention you give to your kids and the attention you give to your spouse I don't believe there has to be a mentality you've got to set one on the, the, bur- the, the back burner and then another one no, you've you, you just got to learn to find balance how do you do that brother McGee well as I've said before balance is never really achieved it's just constantly a juggling well I've got to lean a little this way I've got to lean a little that way it's never truly achieved you're just constantly just, just you know, edging it back and forth in order to find that balance
1: They'll take that into their marriage. And they're going to do that. Um, just an example, like in our home, you know, as you know, most young children do, it's constantly mom, 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 dad, 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 and just constant, constant, constant. And of course, we listen to them, we pay attention to them, but there's a time, sometimes when I'll be sharing something with my husband or he'll be sharing something with me and the kids go, mom, 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 mom. And my husband will look and say, you know, Mariah, Trevor, just a moment. Me and your mom are talking as soon as we're finished we'll tend to what you need just one moment we are discussing something and so we'll get our conversation and it's just helping them to learn respect help them to learn that you know our relationship is important and you know when we talk it's just as important as when they talk so I think that that helps relay good um, examples to our children when we show each other that respect
0: all right Bishop
2: uh, let me take this maybe even a step farther. Sister Don was talking about our relationship and our relationship with God. And I know uh, even I in past years have taught and, and, and it's biblical that uh, you know marriage was made before the tabernacle. But I must take you back biblically and remind you of something that uh, l- let me say it this way. Sister McGee and I Before we were married, when we were dating, we always looked forward to church. The reason being is because that's where we met. And when we went to church, that was a part of our life. Okay, now I want to take you back to the Garden of Eden. Because some of the high points in Adam and Eve's lives was they looked forward to God coming and meeting with them in the Garden until sin their greatest times was meeting with the Lord and having that fellowship with Him. So it was a togetherness. The threefold cord is hard to break. So we must remember that church is important to the family because it's the threefold cord. And without that third cord in there, it can be broken. Holy hell, my Lord, I'm feeling whole. But with that cord, that marriage will stay together no matter what whole oh, glory amen. amen
0: and so Shulamite is looking at this before marriage and if we could state it like this if before marriage you, you remember all these things and it was quality time and it was eagerness to see that other person and yet now after marriage and I say this gingerly but after marriage you're bored now with that person there's a red flag that's flying up high there's a red flag flying up high that there's something seriously wrong, that there needs to be some adjustments here. I'm not bored with my wife after 15 years. I'm still intrigued in our conversations, I'm not bored with her. I don't have to have other couples around me in order to enjoy her company. I don't have to have five couples our age to go out and say, well, that's a good time. It can be me and her. We have a good time. Yes, that's, you better believe it. Bless God, glory, hallelujah, amen. Verse number 10. He says, my beloved spake. Here's Solomon speaking. He said, my beloved spake and said unto me, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Oh, that's just so romantical. Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. For lo, the winter is past the rain is over. What he's speaking about here. Notice though, in verse thirteen, he ends it the same. Arise, my love, my fair one, come away. And I think it's important to see how this man is talking to his to-be wife. The language: Arise, my love, my fair one. What type of what type of what type of slick speech did you have before marriage? Mm-hmm. What kind of what kind of things slithered over your tongue that? You know, now you'd, made, you'd say, boy, I'd, I'd feel embarrassed to say that in the company of anybody. But at that moment in time, it didn't mind. It didn't matter if anybody that was standing around, my, my love, my dove, my, you know, whatever, your sweetie pie, your honey cakes, your what, <laughs> whatever you got going on. He spoke to her in a language that was just kind and generous, my love, my fair ones, talking to her. He didn't call her the old woman didn't call her the old hag I guess I'll go I need to make a phone call see what the old hag's up to hope the old woman's got dinner ready when I get home I cringe when I hear words like that cringe when I hear why because that's very condescending let me tell you whenever you was standing at that altar you wasn't thinking about her being the old woman Mm mm-mm or the old hag but his words were complimentary my love my fair one they, they were full of grace they were they were complimentary they weren't condescending they weren't attacking her character or her physical body they were complimentary he uses that term my love he uses that several times throughout the song of solomon he calls her my love both before and after marriage he calls her his love and in the hebrew that term my love represents that of a friend and that of a companion so before marriage he considered her a friend and companion after marriage he considered her a friend and a companion amen in other words to him after marriage she doesn't just develop into a person that fulfills his physical intimacy needs amen she's still a friend She's still a companion. It's still his love. He complimentary calls her his fair one. His fair one. He is, if I may, and we'll get to this probably in some other weeks, but what's, what, what he is doing in this, he is addressing even some things maybe that he's not totally aware of yet, but he is, he is reassuring her of some preconceived and maybe even insecurities that she has in her life. Because by and large... For the most part, and I'm painting with a broad brush, but it might not hit everybody. By and large, women have this idea something about their physical bodies that they constantly struggle with in their own mind. And they're looking for affirmation from their spouse that you are beautiful, you're wonderful just the way you are. These many years, 10 years removed, and two children later, you're still gorgeous, you're still wonderful. To me, they're looking for that. And so he's saying, fair one, yes, this is before marriage, but we see even after marriage, he's still making those statements and those claims. What is that guy doing? He's reassuring her in her areas of her life that she's insecure. Pastor,
1: I think that's a very, very valid point because especially as apostolic women, we're not going to find any of that affirmation from the world because they're constantly saying, you know, if you're 50, still look 20, you know, make yourself look much younger than you are do this, fix this, change this, you know, constantly trying to, and then, you know, of course, as we've spoken before, just, you know, the standard of the world in Hollywood and the things that we see as women with that constant thing before us, it, you know, as women, we do have doubts. We do have, you know, I've often said we're our own worst critics sometimes, but to have a spouse and have a husband that constantly is reaffirming to you, you're beautiful, I love you. And, you know, sometimes as women, we have been guilty of, well, you're just saying that, or, you know, we don't believe them, or we make them feel bad for saying it, or, or we throw it off. But really, when it comes down to it, for me, as long as my husband finds me beautiful, that's all that matters. I don't really care what anybody else thinks. I want to be attractive to him. I want him to find me appealing. It doesn't really matter if anybody else does, because he's the one that's important in my life. And so if I know that in his eyes I'm beautiful, then that's all that really matters
2: want to bring something, because this just happened just this week. Sister McGee and I was sitting in a certain restaurant, I won't say where, but we were eating, and uh, we were just having a nice little old time, and the sun setting over the way. And, uh, I'll just say an elderly lady that was as blonde as could be and uh, painted up like a clown, and uh, she was... Got to, she was talking about her hair, how good her face looked with her hair, and uh, how she just looked good like that. She could fix her, all these people that have to tease their hair and this and that to make it look good, and I can cut mine, and I can do my own hair, and I can just make it look natural, and, and I can dye my own hair and all. I really wanted to stand Sister McGee up and say, here's a real woman. She don't have all the junk. And her gray hair is a hundred times better looking than that blonde fake junk you got. And she don't have to be cleaned up, painted up like a clown to look beautiful. She looks beautiful just like she is. I still recognize her from the day I married her. What's going on, church? Mm-hmm.
1: I'm glad that I'm who I am. I'm glad I got
2: married to who I did. And I stand her up beside that blonde-headed old lady.
0: It wasn't his wife.
2: It wasn't my wife. I can say that. I could stand her up beside a beautiful woman. You know, and, and let me tell you, we can take away from ourselves The same as we can add to ourselves. Wasn't no conceit in that lady's family. She had it all.
0: Before marriage, Solomon then in this encounter with Shulamite, he invites her to go along the countryside. It's springtime. He's describing a time of spring. The birds are chirping. Things are starting to grow. He's he's, stopped. The rain has stopped. It's springtime. He wants her to come away. He says at least two times in verse 10 and verse 13. He calls for her to... Come away. Uh, and this isn't always the case, but this is what's happening right here. That as the male, as the man, he's taken the initiative that says, Let's go away. Let's have some time together. He's making the initiative. Not only that, he's planned what they're going to do. It's still good every once in a while, amen, for a guy to take the initiative to plan what they're going to do. Let it be mysterious let her just know just be ready at such and such time on such and such dank don't let her know where you're going what you have planned to do keep it mysterious because she's just bubbling oh I wonder what it's going to be and and you know what it isn't so much for the woman it isn't so much and again this is a broad brush I don't want to put everybody in a can because I hate that but a lot of times it isn't even necessarily what you have planned but that you've taken time to think about me to do something with me and so she's, she's got good feelings because you thought about her and took time to devise this and plan this and do whatever you need to do, make reservations, get babysitters for the kids without her knowing. And she feels flattered that you thought of her in such a way that you took time to plan and to do something, to enjoy something with her together. And I think, we, I think sometimes men have taken a backseat concerning taking the initiative and planning things. Do you mean? I don't care, babe, whatever you want to do, you put it together, I'll show up. Come on now. Yeah. Yeah. In 1 Corinthians 11 and verse number 3, Sister DePriest, the Bible says, but I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is the man. And the head of Christ is God. The Bible says that the head of the woman is man. Therefore, men should be taking the lead. We should be taking the lead. We're the head. should be the first to get on that cross of sacrifice for our ladies. Amen. We allow ourselves sometimes to grow familiar with our spouses and we become complacent. We don't try to impress them anymore. And that goes vice versa. Don't try to impress each other anymore. Planning's out the window. We just go by the seat of our pants. What does that show? Well, it's not that important. Huh? It's not that important. We put some thought and effort and some strategizing into it you know, it raises the level of importance of what this time, what we're going to do and being with you means to me or vice versa. I didn't know if he was picking up the mic. I was just
1: going to say that that is a common um, thing. Um, And as Pastor McGee's already said, you know, we don't stereotype everybody because everybody's unique and is their own person. But it is a common thing, even sometimes subconsciously, um, for the male that, you know, like the male that's a soldier, he goes out to war and he fights the battle, and he wins. They beat the enemy, yeah, I won, it's over, you know, and they don't have to fight anymore. Um, it's kind of the same time things that can happen in a relationship where the man goes out to win the wife, to win the bride, to, you know, fight for her, and to, you know, and finally he does everything, you know, romances her, and finally he gets her, he gets the wife, and they get married, and it's like, all right, I got her, it's over.
0: Game over. And then there's
1: nothing else that happens. <laughs> and so I think that is... Sometimes it's not even you know, conscious, but just a subconscious thing that, oh, I've conquered this, I've got this, I've achieved my goal, I've received my wife, or I've received my spouse, and that's why sometimes afterwards there's nothing done to continue to cultivate it. But for women, we are ju- we're, we're just, we're romantics, even if we wouldn't admit it, we are. We are romantics at heart. And to have you know a husband that will continually you know, do things for us and to be romantic and to do things, are, it goes a whole, whole, whole long way with us as
0: women. If we may, I want to just go into a a real brief moment here. I want Sister McGee to make some comments concerning this. Is because all throughout the Song of Solomon we will come across different expressions of these. Uh, Has anybody ever read The Five Love Languages by uh, Dr. Gary Chapman? Hands if you have. Very few. If you've never read that book, I highly recommend it. And perhaps whenever I get done with all this, I'll put up a list of recommended readings. Uh, but I highly, highly recommend this. I don't care if you're looking to get married, you've been married two weeks, or if you've been married 50 years. This book is apl- applicable, to, uh, applicable to your marriage, um, and, and what we see even through the Song of Solomon, we'll see this, uh, because every individual, man and female, every individual uh, gives and receives love differently. I uh, know we, as I said, society a lot of times paints with a broad brush. This is how all men are. This is how all ladies are. And I hate, 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 hate that. Did I mention I hated it? Anyways, I hate that because we don't all fall into this cookie-cutter pattern. We are all individuals by nature of ourself. And so uh, with this, uh, through studies and st- being a doctor and he, he he mentors and counsels marriage marriage counseling for years upon years that he's come to uh, a place that there are five love languages that people uh, this is how people receive love they feel the love the most whenever they receive love through this through this venue you want to explain a little bit more how that, that works Sister McGee sure. um,
1: he come through his counseling to realize that there was five basic ones uh, most people there's a certain way that they feel loved or they give and receive love and so in a marriage um, there is ways that your spouse will feel the most loved, based on what their love language is. And the concept of this book and the goal was to discover what your love language is and what the love language is of your spouse. Because if you can discover what their love language is, then you're better able to show love to them. And kind of the example that I like to use is the wife that's at home, she's cooking dinner, um, the baby's diaper needs changed, and you know, there's some things on the floor and the husband comes in from work and honey I'm so glad to be home oh you just look so beautiful you've been working so hard I can tell and they sit down to eat and you know all just complimenting her oh this was so good I just love it and he's thinking yeah I'm really scoring the points I have really have complimented her and I've told her how good supper was and how beautiful she looked and his wife's sitting over thinking, here I am, been slaving away. He walks in, couldn't he have changed the baby's diaper? Didn't he remember I needed milk? He could have stopped at the store on his way home and got milk. And so it comes down to what the love language of the wife is because there's five basic love languages. And in this example, he was using the love language called words of affirmation, where he's complimenting her, showing her affection. And, but her love language wasn't words of affirmation. Her love language was acts of service. She feels the most loved whenever someone does things for her. And just to kind of put it in perspective for Brother McGee and I, his love language is acts of service. He feels the most loved whenever, you know, if the house is kept clean, he comes home and there's a meal on the table, if I have his laundry done, things like that. And a lot of times how someone was raised and the way they receive love from their parents is how that's how it kind of cultivates what their love language is. On the flip side, my love language is physical touch. And that doesn't necessarily mean people automatically sometimes jump to intimacy, but it's not Um, if he'll just, usually the night doesn't go by that he doesn't rub my back for me. And that just is wonderful. That's just, that's my love language. If he'll hold my hand, come in at lunchtime and give me a hug, just that connection of physical touch, that's my love language. So there's other love language as well that I know he's gonna cover, but that kind of gives you a basic concept that if you can find that magic little bullet that actually really really means a lot to your mate or your spouse and this actually revolutionized even our relationship we've always had a good relationship but when we discovered I'm like yeah that's yours and that's yours and we know what it is it's so easy because you can know straight what you can go to that's going to mean the most to them
0: right Right, right, right. And I'm just going to go over them. There's five of them just real quick. The reason why I'm doing so is because in the Song of Solomon, you're going to see them crop up. As a matter of fact, we've already seen a couple. One is words of affirmation that Solomon is using uh, for Shulamite. And then uh, getting a the time away into the countryside, some quality time, just her and her quality times. one of them as well. But as she said, one of them is words of affirmation. I, I really do. Uh, something that she and I uh, began doing was whenever someone got married, that was part of the gift that we gave to them on the wedding day because we would felt just so... Uh, Felt like it was just so important to their life. Now, whether they read it, I don't know. But we we couldn't discount us for giving it to them. Words of affirmation. Uh, The old saying, actions speak louder than words. That's not always the case. If your love language is words of affirmation. Uh, Because if so, having compliments given to you, you really thrive with that. I mean, just even these three simple words, here they are. They're not real difficult to say. I love you. (laughs) And Really, it is something that... I I hope that, you know, somehow daily that just happens in your conversation in exchange with your spouse just reaffirming to them that you love them. But I dare to say that there's probably relationships where that even isn't spoken anymore. But I love you and it's not just saying I love you but even sometimes hearing the reasons behind why you love them. I love you because so and so for such and such and Man, spirits just seem to start. And here's something important then about someone that that receives love, words of affirmation, receiving compliments. Man, that's putting money into their bank, so to speak. Uh, Whenever that happens, here's something that we need to consider then. If then you give an insult toward a person whose main love language is words of affirmation, you have shattered something in their life that's very hard for them to deal with. Because if they really thrive on that, then that insult's going to go deeper than if it were you saying that to someone whose love language is acts of service because they thrive on compliments. Therefore, they're going to plummet on insult. So you got to consider that.
1: With words of affirmation, it's important that if your spouse's love language is words of affirmation, so you're going to speak their language and you're going to show them love, that what you say has to be sincere. Genuine, yes. It has to be genuine. You know, you're not just saying, well, i got to do that because that's their love language. You need to really find things to zone in on, you know, you know, we all
0: know you, a fake when we hear it
1: yeah. Thank you so much for mowing the lawn. I really appreciate you taking the time to do that. Or, you know, I really love that outfit you wore today. You put that together. Well, you just, you know, you zone in on things that's going to build their confidence and boost their self-esteem and make them feel love.
0: Here's something to, to maybe put the drive in that stutter group, a stutter group. They did a study and the study showed this. If you give your spouse five compliments for each criticism you cut your chances of divorce from 50% to 7%. That's the power that's invested just in being complimentary. All right? The second love language, or another one, is quality time. And uh, quality time, whenever I think of quality time, I think about, you know, giving balance, giving equal attention to each other. Uh, Whenever I think about quality time, nothing says I love you to this person like undivided attention. That's just for them. This type of person, uh, it might be critical for you just being there. In other words, TV's off. All right? Fork and knife's down whenever they're talking. You know, all the chores and the tasks are on standby. They're on hold right now. Because you're making a significant, significant effort, amen, to give your undivided attention. And in doing so, they feel special. They feel loved you got to minimize distractions. You might have to p- postpone some other dates uh, because to not listen is very hurtful to this person, to not listen and not pay attention. And again, quality time doesn't mean you have to spend, you know, well, we'll spend $150 for tickets for both of us to go do such, such and such. It could be the springtime, the rain stop, and you're going through and there's the sounding of the turtle dove, you know. It's just spending time together. Uh, number three is receiving gifts receiving gifts now we're, I don't want anybody to think well boy they're just real materialistic and all this stuff and, you know does it take all that we all like to receive gifts I mean when's the last time you didn't like it whenever someone just brought you a little something uh, with the gift you know the thoughtfulness again the effort that was behind that you was thinking about them and I'm not just talking about anniversary or birthday don't forget those times by any means don't forget those times, but it's important uh, sometimes just just because, just because, prized above whatever sacrifice it took in order to give and bring that gift to them. Number, and the other one is acts of service. We've already spoke about that. You know, who in the world ever thought vacuuming the floor could somehow express love? You know, to somebody else, but it does, amen. Because you're taking some of the burden, some of the responsibilities, perhaps, off the other person, and that's just not a man thing to express that. You know, uh, that lady might, you know, she has a use, you know, might like to come out and weed eat with you while you mow the lawn. Seriously. You know, you just never know or pull weeds or whatever it may be. Acts of service. It speaks volumes. Uh, you know, they, they like to hear that thing, let me do that for you. You know, they like to hear that phrase, let me, let me do that for you. you know, so don't, laziness, man, you're, you're deducting. Uh, from someone whose love language is act of service if you're lazy or having broken commitments, not doing what you said you was going to do. You know, making more work for them. Bad thing for someone that receives love for being acts of service. So you, let me I'm just throw some out. Sample acts of service. Just going to throw these out. Cooking a meal, setting a table, washing dishes, vacuuming, cleaning the commode. For apostolics, getting hairs out of the sink or the bathtub removing the white spots from the mirror from the toothpaste that splattered there from the kids getting bugs off the windshield taking out the garbage changing the baby's diaper painting a bedroom dusting a bookcase keeping the car in operating condition washing or vacuuming the car cleaning the garage mowing the grass trimming the shrubs and the hedges raking the leaves dusting the blinds walking the dog changing the cat's litter box changing the diaper already got that changing the water in the fishbow Jesus was very good about acts of service he washed all of his disciples feet and he did it because he wanted to show his servant mentality to them. And he said, you go and do likewise. Amen. Because love can't be demanded, can it? Truly, love can't be demanded. We've got to request things of one another. The last one, then, is physical touch. And again, this isn't all about the bedroom, by no means. Amen. But just the hugs, the pats on the back, the holding the face in the hands, whatever, holding hands. You remember before marriage? Just holding hands? You know? There's nothing wrong with doing that after you're married, holding hands. Or you used to put your arm, you know, oh. Before marriage, you can do that now and don't even have to yawn to get it done. After marriage, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong sitting next to each other. You can be watching the evening news and just have that one that you love close to them, just just patting their arm or rubbing their leg or whatever it may be. You know, showing concern, showing love, brushing their hair. That's another one of my wife's things that she loves. Amen. So just having that physical presence out there, just being close to each other. Let me tell you what's going to cause a big, big nail in the coffin, though, for someone that receives love, being a physical touch person, if you ever touch them in an abusive way. No, No doubt that would scream to anybody, but particularly to those that receive love by physical touch when they receive a touch. That is in an abusive, neglecting, destructive way. Right. It's going to be very, very, very hard for them to have trust built back. Right. If that is for sure their love language. Hold hands. Here are some examples. Hold hands. Rub the back. Place your hand on the shoulder while sitting. Just sit close to each other. Kiss when you leave the house and when you arrive. Right. Amen. I, that's something I grew up with in my own house. I remember any time Dad left, and he arrived, there was always a kiss. And there's more than one reason behind that, because you never know whenever that kiss may be the last kiss whenever someone leaves. Amen. And then also physical intimacy would be in that, but isn't just solely that. If you'll stand with me today, I see my time is largely expired. Folks, I pray, you know, during this that I pray that during this you all just don't disconnect, all right? Because I think this is very vitally important. And you say, well, Brother McGee, you're not talking about the tabernacle or the 12 foundations of the city of the New Jerusalem. Let me tell you, I'm not. I'm not, but there's some practical things here, right here, in everyday life that we need to consider. In everyday life, we need to consider. And I think our marriages are important enough to take some time out whether this is 10 or 12 weeks, however long it is, to consider it. Because in the end, if we can just even pick up on one little tool or just something that we didn't think about to be able to incorporate in our lives that's going to help our homes and our marriages and ultimately help our children in the end and then overall help the church, then it's been worth all of this blabbering that you hear me up here doing maybe thinking, man, this is just boring. Let me tell you, if someone can tell me how to have a better marriage, I'm all ears. Because I dare to say if I get 50 years old or 50 years old and we've been married X number of years, if someone still has something to tell me how I can be a better husband to my wife, I'm all ears. Why? Because she's that enough important to me that I want to be that for her. I want to be that for her. Let's bow our heads at this place. Father, I come to you right now. God, I'm thankful, Lord Jesus, today. God, for your word. I'm thankful, God, that you cared enough, Lord, that even in your scriptures, Lord, that you would address such matters like this. God, because you knew, Lord, the society, Lord, that we would come to live in. Lord Jesus, how, Lord, marriages, Lord, married to each other, Lord, God, for any longevity would become very much so rare. And I pray, oh, Lord, today, God, teach us through your word. I want to take these things. I want to apply them to my life. Let it not just be water, Lord, that would fall upon my back and I would shrug off but Lord Jesus that man or that woman Lord should be of utmost importance to us that we would love and cherish till death do us part sickness and health all these various things God I don't, I don't want to get to a place Lord that I think Lord that I'm just bored with them Lord but God I want this to be some quality time to love them and still be wild and eager Lord to have time spent with them diligent Lord to hone, Lord this thing that I was so eager to get before I was married I pray oh Lord today God touch every home touch every family touch every husband and every wife help us Lord to be eager help us Lord to be enthralled still by just the voice Lord of that wife or the voice of that husband still love God just to have time with them don't have to even be anything Lord extracurricular per se going on but Lord just being with them Lord that that would even be still greatly greatly Lord a special Lord in our lives God I pray Lord minister these people Lord as we come back on Wednesday I pray Lord touch their lives God as we go our separate ways today. Today, we could ponder on some of these things and perhaps even see a place where we could incorporate some of this stuff Lord into our lives Lord we thank you and we praise you for it in the name of Jesus Christ that I pray Amen and Amen Everybody, Thank you for listening if you would like more information about our services and activities you can find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter with the username FACMC again that's FACMC thank you and have a blessed day